Uh, it, it made me laugh out loud, which uh, which I thought it was something that to be shared with the wider world. But uh, yeah, I've certainly had days where I felt like the sheep there. <laughs> <laughs> That's killer. I'm going to retweet it again because it's so good. You're a Tottenham Hotspur fan, so I know you can feel pain because that's oh, a tell me about it that's a tough <laughs> drill back. right man oh yeah yes I, I inherited that from my uh my dad and from his dad before him but uh uh the cross i have to bear i've passed it down to my son too we'll see if it takes he's uh yeah he's he's unsure so far <laughs> yeah, I, I i being a spurs fan know you, you know that you know tell me that they're going to finish fifth without telling me they're going to finish fifth right like even though we're halfway <laughs> through the season <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. Let's start here. Let's start with uh, Scotty Barnes, all-star. We know he's the, the face of the team now, but we are also finding out about him, and he's a pretty spectacular young player. Maybe not, not full-blown and maybe not famous yet, but there's a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think, uh, well, to hear Darko Ryakovich tell it, he's the face of the league. Uh, I mean, he is a former rookie of the year, which is, accounts for something. Um, you know, he wasn't voted into the All-Star team or, or selected originally, chosen as an injury replacement, along with Atlanta's Trey Young yesterday. Um, but certainly, you know, completely deserving, I think, uh, on his, his own numbers. You know, he's among the, uh, I think he's, I, I think I heard the other day, Barnes is 10th in the NBA in fourth quarter points. Um, so, you know, I mean, like, yeah, as, as I think the Raptors are trying to still figure out what, what his ceiling is here. And, and, you know, is he going to be, the guy, uh, their number one option on a, when this team returns to competitive respectability. Uh, my suspicion is yes. Uh, I guess there's, the jury is maybe a little bit sad. Does he need someone in front of him? Or will he succeed just as well with a couple of, you know, a, a, a 1A and, or, or, you know, a, a couple of guys behind him? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's sort of very much the player that you're looking for, I think, in the NBA these days. Uh, a, a big, a bigger guy, but a guy who can handle the ball, a guy who has passing vision and, and understands how to use his teammates, and is sort of still working to kind of refine that outside game a little bit, but certainly has all the athletic attributes that you're looking for, you know, in the paint and so on, finishing at the rim and what have you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he is he is kind of the, in large part the guy the Raptors have pinned a lot of their hopes on moving forward. Uh, particularly in, in light of the guys who have gone out the door so far this season, um, so you know it's certainly, as I say, a worthy a worthy nod to the All Star game for him, and uh, perhaps the first of many. Well, he's averaging twenty two points a game, eight point one rebounds, a, a one and a half blocks. Uh, one of seven NBAers to average twenty points, eight rebounds, and five assists, and so I, I mean, very impressive. But but now the question is how to build around him and whom to uh, populate the roster. And I guess that's the next step. Yeah, so we've got the NBA trade deadline coming up tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m. And certainly a lot of moving parts, uh, potential moving parts on the Raptors. The most likely, I, I would say, is probably Bruce Brown, the, the veteran guard who came over from Indiana in the Pascal Siakam trade and was part of Denver's championship run last year. A well-traveled player, but a you know a guy who any contending team could certainly make use of. Uh, when he arrived here in Toronto, Darko Ryakovich talked about how he had studied the league a couple of summers ago as a summer project and determined that Bruce Brown was the best cutter in the NBA. Uh, so you know, I think quite easily the the most uh, saleable asset on this roster that they're willing to part with, obviously. Um, but still, you know, there's a, a couple other guys who might be 
uh, with new new uniforms come Friday, Chris Boucher among them, uh, maybe even Fad Young. Uh, Dennis Schroeder even has been mentioned in some trade rumors. So, uh, uh, you know, I, do, I don't expect a whole raft of moves, maybe maybe one or two. Um, you know, the, the Raptors having already acquired a probably arguably more draft capital this for this summer than they would want or need. Uh, are obviously disinclined to get any any more picks in the, the next draft. If they can get picks in future drafts, they'll probably be a little more interested. Um, with with now you know the possibility of three picks in, in the coming draft, which is not considered especially robust. Um, but yeah, I think Bruce Brown is perhaps the most likely to go, uh, and and Boucher second most likely, and then we'll see what what happens after that. Um, you know, and obviously in terms of looking down the line. You know the the arrivals of uh, Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett around the around the holidays. Those are two guys who who Toronto certainly clearly feels very good about moving forward. But but yeah, you know after that, there's not a lot of certainty on on uh, you know who's going to be starting for this team and in, in, uh, on opening day next season. Uh, so a lot to be sorted out between now and and tomorrow afternoon and then after you know what I think was most likely here. Uh, with the Raptors is they may not make a ton of moves by the deadline, but what's more likely is once the season is over and once the draft lottery has happened and they know exactly what they have in terms of draft assets, then it seems like Masai Ujiri could sit down and start making some moves. And, uh, you know, at at the moment they have these picks, but, you know, you don't know exactly where they're going to be. Once you have the certainty, then you can start, you know, really sort of sizing up opportunities for, for improvement. Ian Harrison, our guest from AP. My perception of Toronto sports fans is that they are patient with the Raptors because the championship aura is still around them and they're willing to be, you know, patient with the team. Not so much with the Jays. And I'm getting, a, people have texted me, they wanted somebody to talk about Vladimir Guerrero and the arbitration and and there's a worry that this is a bad idea because even if you win arbitration or even if you lose, you you've you've irritated the player possibly, uh, and you want to keep this guy long term. Is there wisdom in doing this? Is there a reason why it was a good idea? Uh, there isn't a, a ton, really. I mean, particularly when you think about the not not just the implications of going into a room and telling a three-person arbitration panel why you don't think, you know, one of your best players is worth what he's asked for, but also when you think about the sort of, you know, fairly easy for me to say, fairly small gap between what was asked for and what was offered. I think it was just around 18 million was the Blue Jays offer and Guerrero won at 19.9. So, you know, uh, 2 million is, is not exactly chump change, but on a, on a, on a big league salary, that's going to probably top 200 million. You know, it's it's not it's not gonna uh, really gonna be the straw that breaks the camel's back. You would you would think. Um, so yeah, from that standpoint, it's really it's hard to sort of see an obvious positive. You know, I mean, if it was the difference between a luxury tax payment or a luxury tax threshold, even then maybe you could see some some rationale. But but uh, you know, at, it, it, it the way it's played out, it just sort of seems like the Blue Jays kind of. You know, sticking to their principles, which is fine. We're a file and trial team. If we if we don't reach an agreement, then we're going to go to going to go to the hearing unless we can, as they did with Bobichet last year, come to an, a multi-year agreement. Um, but yeah, you know, 
if you if you if your desire is to keep Vlad Guerrero Jr. in a Blue Jays uniform long term, then nothing about what's happened in, in this negotiation has been positive. It suggests that they don't see eye to eye, that they don't have a common uh, idea of what his value is, and and uh, you know as we know, there's only now two seasons left before Guerrero could t- uh, test free agency, and and uh, the closer you get to that, the, you know the more likely you would presume the player is to want to to experience that, to, to get that chance uh, rather than uh, signing a contract that would uh, force him to wait longer to see what his sort of open market value is. So, so yeah, kind of troubling, troubling signs. You know, it's not a clear indication of what's going to happen, but, but not, not the most positive development between Vlad Guerrero and the Jays. We're a week away, I think, something like that from pitchers, catchers, hurt guys, uh, you know, guys who are, are just trying to, you know, hang on and get their uh, reporting. Uh, have the Jays done enough? And I say that understanding they were in the Otani and, and Soto uh, sweepstakes for a time. And for Otani, apparently, you know, I mean, it looked like it was close at one point. Did they do enough this offseason, you, do you think, to maybe excite the masses? <laughs> I certainly don't think they've done enough to excite the masses. I mean, your, your point about Toronto fans, or Blue Jays fans, uh, you know, they, they've they've felt like a bit of a frustrated lot for, uh, you know, most of last season as the bats were uh, were often silent. That that's uh, that did not sit well with a, a large section of the Blue Jays fan base. Last year's team, in spite of the fact that they were a playoff team for the third time in four years, did not seem to inspire an abundance of love among the Toronto faithful or Blue Jays faithful. Um, and you know, given the sort of I think it was five five or six, at least six free agents, maybe who went out the door. Um, and, you know, Kevin Kiermaier is back. Uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is, is here. And uh, Justin Turner. And then we're still waiting on confirmation of the signing of Cuban pitcher Ariel Rodriguez. But it does not feel as though this, the ledger has kind of, you know, been equaled in terms of talent that departed in free agency and then talent that has come in over the off season. Um, you know, we've heard Ross Atkins at various times over this winter, the Blue Jays general manager, talk about how he expects not only internal improvements from the players that they have, but also the changes in coaching and, and uh, you know, delivery of information and so on and the impact that they expect that to have. Uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, up until the time the Blue Jays signed Justin Turner, they've actually made more coaching changes than player changes this winter, uh, moving Don Mattingly into the uh, – offensive coordinator role where I guess he's going to call running or passing plays, uh, bringing in the Marler <laughs> Hale, promoting Matt Haig from Buffalo, and then swapping, uh, swapping out third base coaches with the retirement of uh, Louis Rivera. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, if you boil it down, have the Blue Jays done enough this winter that you can look at them and say they are a clear favorite for the American League East? I don't think you can say that. I think they're, the Orioles are clearly you know, still a better talented team on paper. The addition of Corbin Burns is very good for them. We saw the Yankees add Soto. Uh, you know, it's 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 difficult to say that the Blue Jays, who uh, sort of scraped in at 89 wins last year, uh, have have done enough to kind of inspire, um, a, a, you know, thoughts of a division title this year in that in that so tough AL East. And and if they can't do that, then yeah, you're right back in that wild card situation, which is such a, you know. It's so it's so it's proven so difficult for them, and it, it's such a short series that you know we've we've seen other scenarios in the wild card where teams that put up a vastly better regular season have not shown up for that two or three game 
encounter, and and that's it. It's it's a, it's a cruel fate after 162 games, but uh, you know that that's the way it goes. And so it it just it shows how much the it's worth to win the division. And and it's hard for me to sit here and say the Blue Jays look like they're in pole position to do that. Do you? Uh, so I guess you're saying that the the Jays are closer to the being the sheep than the bucket in that video, then. <laughs> Very much. I think, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, it, uh, I, I, you know, I, certainly you would hope that, that uh, given how sort of it was a, seemed like an across the board uh, down season for, for their offense last year, you know, you, you would like to think that there will be a little bit of bounce back. But at the same time, you know, you look at the, the team last year and, and they were blessed with incredible health in their rotation. Obviously, Manoa didn't pan out, but everybody else was great. Barrios and Kikuchi were way better than advertised. Uh, they were generally healthy in the bullpen. Uh, I mean, Romano missed a bit of time, but uh, nothing too serious. So, you know, you, you could, you could as, as easily as you could say the Blue Jays' offense will bounce back, you could, you could look on the other side and say maybe – dare I tempt fate, you know, a, a, a pitcher gets hurt or something like that. Yeah. And, and then you're in, you're in trouble. So, so yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they feel, they feel maybe like they're at that point in that sheep video where the sheep is kind of airborne and, and not quite sure where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for this, Ian. Appreciate it. You have a great day. Thank you. Talk uh, soon.